Somebody say all the time. That's it. That's it. That's what I like to hear. All right. So the point title of my talk today is what's the point? What's the point? And so what I'd like to ask you to do is throughout this teaching, throughout the preaching, whatever, at any point where you go, huh? just say, what's the point? What's the point? But don't ask me, because I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> ask the Holy Spirit. What's the point? What's the point? And you'll see application for this as we go through this. But let's pray. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. Let's take this word, oh God. This word from your word. Enrich it by your presence, by your power, by your enablement to cause us to be more than we've been up to this point in time. Because you join us in this journey and you enable us to accomplish the will of Jesus Christ for the world around us. To be difference makers in our community and our neighbors. Sometimes even in Italy, if you're lucky, really favored by dad, you know, but I won't go there. <laughs> so bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you on a journey in a very interesting story. Um, I've always liked the story. You, I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, but you will be by the time I'm done. Second Kings chapter 5. If you have a kid's Bible or if you've ever been a Sunday school teacher, this story is usually entitled uh, More About the Little Slave Girl Than the Prophet or Naaman. It starts off with Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, king of Syria, and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but, but he was a leper. Hmm. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. Think about that for a second. By him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. So what's that mean? The Lord had given the Syrians victory over Israel. That'll twist your noodle a little bit, huh? And she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would that my lord, referring to Naaman, were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, the king of Syria, thus and so spoke the little girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. 
And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man sends word to me to cure a man of leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he said to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away and so he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Great story, huh? It gets much better. I'd really encourage you to read the whole thing. Um, The prophet Amos, addressing the conditions and circumstances taking place in Israel at this same time period, asks a series of intriguing questions. Amos 3, 4 through 7. Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion cry out from his den if he has taken nothing? Does a bird fall into a snare on the earth when there is no trap for it? Does a snare spring up from the ground when it has taken nothing? Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? In other words, there is cause and effect. There is cause and effect. There is reaping and sowing, circumstance and situation. And each of these has the power to drive us, to compel us to some form of action or response. So situation number one, Syria invades some area of Israel and a little girl is taken captive. Just think of all of the pain and suffering and possible abuse tied up in just that one event. What would that look like? A whole band of soldiers come riding into a village and here's this little girl all in the confusion. Some soldier reached down, scoops her off and off they go. What would the soldiers do with her on the way back? What would happen to her life? Hmm? 
Then she is sold into slavery to serve the wife of the commander of the army that had abducted her. And to make matters worse, he, the husband, is a leper. Right? You ever see a leper? Well, to make matters worse, the little girl is a Jew, and lepers are unclean. So here she is, this little Jewish girl, held as a captive, held as a slave, living in the house of an unclean leper. So she is disqualified from worshiping the God of her heritage and may even believe that her prayers would not be heard by God because of her circumstance, because she is now unclean in the house of a leper. But there is another dynamic at work in all of our circumstances and situations, and that is the purposes of God. Now watch the response of the little slave girl. She says to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. She offers godly counsel, direction and advice to her captives. She speaks godly wisdom into the defiling situation that is oppressing her soul. Why? because somehow she understood that beyond the circumstances and rising above the situation, there is always the purposes of God at work, and they always work best in the prophetic realm. Amos 3.8 concludes with this. For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who cannot prophesy? So Naaman went in and told his Lord. We'll follow the storyline. Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel, and the king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, 10 changes of clothing, and he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant. Do you think the king knows who Naaman is? He isn't just a servant, right? This is a military commander. Oh, yeah, you sent your servant, right? We get this, right? What would Homeland Security think about this, friend? that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and he said, am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure men of leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. So here we are, right? The little slave girl's godly counsel has led to a possible international incident with a potential for all-out war. Seriously, right? How is the king of Israel going to respond? In what direction will his fear and su suspicion compel him? A fairly common response in those days was to kill the messenger. Right? 
The king of Persia, Xerxes, sends an emissary to Leonidas, king of Sparta, to offer terms of peace. Leonidas kills them all and goes to war. Right? Salahadin sends a messenger to the new crusader king of Jerusalem to try and come to terms and settle an ongoing conflict. The king slits the throat of the messenger and goes to war. That's pretty common response when a messenger comes from another king when there's tension. What the king of Israel is what is the king of Israel about to do? We can only guess because the little slave girl petitioned the prophetic, not the political. I'm going to say that again. The little slave girl petitioned the prophetic and not the political. Listen, the answer to our dilemmas does not lie on either side of the aisle. It's not Republican. It's not Democratic. It's kingdom or it's nothing. It wasn't the war machines of earthly armies or the power of the kingdoms of men. No, the king of Syria sent Naaman to the king of Israel, but the little Jewish slave girl sent him to the prophet of God. And it will be the prophet of God who settles the affair. But when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the door of Elijah's house. And Elijah sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, here's the key, I thought. I thought, doesn't he know who I am? Didn't he see the chariot, the horses, the entourage, the gold, the silver, the clothes? Didn't he catch all that? And what's with the servant coming out to me? I'm the commander of the host of Syria. I thought he would come out to me. Right? This is no small statement. This guy's in a rage. This goes against all of the norms of the time. When the commander of the host of an army of a nation that has invaded your country comes to your door, you do not send a servant out. You come out. I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. So what does the scripture say about this? How about James 1.19? Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Listen, you're not going to get God's stuff through anger or rage. I don't care how indignant you get. God is not moved by your indignation. 
Well, I, lo I love this one. We used to have this as a uh, plaque in our bathroom where we used to give the rod to the kids. It's this wooden plaque, and it was burned in with one of those wood-burning tools, you know. Pride goes before destruction. <laughs> Proverbs 16, 18. And a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Those are good words. Those are good words. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? I like uh, the way the King James translates these verses, uh, what the servants say in Second uh, Kings 5.13. The servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do a great thing, would you not have done it? I mean, if he challenged you to, you know, climb that sheer cliff and when you get to the top with all your energy and strength and might because you're a mighty man of valor, when you get to the top of that height that no man has ever conquered, you'll be healed. You would have tried that, right? If it was some great feat that would have brought you acclaim, you would have tried that, right? If he challenged your manhood, you would have done that, right? Have you noticed the wisdom of the servants in all of this interaction? <laughs> it seems that the humility required to be a servant under harsh conditions unblocks the ears to hear what is really being said and removes the blinders of pride and self-importance to see beyond our own perceptions or hurt feelings. It's what Naaman was all about. This guy hurt my feelings. He didn't come out to me. Right? Who does he think he is? Gee. I think these servants take what I call a Jesus posture in Matthew 20, 25. Jesus called them and said, you know that the rulers of the nations exercise dominion over them. Dominion demands that you come out and address me because of who I am. You see me personally. You recognize my importance, my worth, my value, my riches, my wealth, whatever I have to offer. And they who are great exercise authority over them. However, it shall not be so among you. Let me say that. It will not be so among me. Go ahead, say that. But whoever desires to be great among you, who wants to be great? I want to be great. I want to be great in the sight of the Lord. I've said it for years. Listen, when I, when I pass through those pearly grates, the gates of heaven, I'm walking down that, that golden avenue, I want the angels to be, hey, Dick, good to see you, man. Hey, Dick, how's it going? About time you got here. Where you been? You know, because Jesus says this, listen, all the angels of heaven know, my Father knows those who testify of me on the earth. Listen, there's a worth and a value, a treasure stored in heaven that you'll be known when you arrive because of what you did here. 
Whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. If you want heaven to recognize you, to recognize your worth and your value, you know, take off your robe, wrap a towel around yourself, get on your knees and serve somebody. Because he did it. He did it. The King of kings and the Lord of lords did that. Whoever desires to be chief among you, let him be your servant, even as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child like the flesh of a little slave girl. And he was clean. I won't read that far into it, but at the end of the story, the prophet finally comes out to Naaman after he's clean, and Naaman recognizes that there is only one real God, the God of Israel. And he asks the prophet, can I take a bunch of bags of dirt? and bring them home with me so that I can worship your God in my home. And would you pardon me because I serve the king of Syria? When he goes in to worship his God, I have to stand at his side and be in the presence of him as he worships another God. Will you forgive me for that before I ever have to do it? Because now I've seen what the God of Israel can really do. And there's no other God beside him. Man. Powerful, powerful story. I encourage you to read 2 Kings chapter 5. So what's the point? What's the point? Mm-hmm. Three weeks ago during the worship song set, as I was looking out over all of you worshiping Jesus from my perch up in the sound booth, The Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, 2020 will be a year of great transition for many in this room. 2020 will be a year of great transition for many in this room. And the point of transition. So what's the point? The point is transition. There's a point in time that God has ordained what you might want to call a kairos moment where things are going to begin to change, radically change for a lot of you. The point of transition will begin in March. March. March of this year. So who feels like something's about to change? Going somewhere? Are you, Kiki? No, you are. You are. Yeah, so somewhere around March, you're going to get a letter, and it's going to be an invitation for you to come and be who you've always desired to be. So what's your initial thought?
is this a good thing or a bad thing? Transition. It's not always good for a lot of people, you know. <laughs> I mean, think, think about this little Jewish girl, right? All the situation that she's in, and she does the right thing. She sends this guy to the prophet to get healed of his leprosy. Now, was that concern for his leprosy, or was it, I need to get out from under this stuff? You know, I feel so unclean in this place. This guy needs to get healed so I can have a better life, right? What can I do? Right? Send him to the prophet. Right? So was there an ulterior? Maybe, maybe an ulterior. I don't know. It doesn't say it in the script. But it sounds like a great plan to me. It's a great, right? And it worked. I mean, not only did he get healed, he got saved. Right? He brought Yahweh back into the house. Right? So not only... Did she get a clean master? She got earth from her homeland and the ability to worship in real time with the guy who once oppressed her life. And I'm sure once he was saved, the whole family got it, right? Will this mean a breakthrough in some area of your life, a change for the better, or is there a potential for loss and more of the same old, same old. And maybe it's not an either or issue. Maybe it can go either way. I mean, what if, what if the king of Israel had cut Naaman's throat? What if he had made that move before the prophet could speak? And there are a thousand little what ifs. Right. Did the word trigger a hope in your heart for something specific that you have been building toward, or did the situations and circumstances of your life at this present time take dominion over your mind to rob you of the potential blessings that lie ahead? What's going on up here right now? Because this is the battleground. It's right up here, what's going on in your head and in your heart. Did I tell you about the second brain a couple of weeks ago? Fascinating. <coughs> Scientists have discovered you know, the, these pathways we have internally, like every thought you've ever had is in the cells of your blood. And there's some segment of the heart that actually processes the thought patterns that come down from the brain and cause your heart to respond towards thought processes that go on in your mind. See, so the mind can rob the heart of hope or the mind can fuel the heart with hope, with faith, and that hope and faith can cause the mind to think in ways that will help you accomplish the better outcome. See, because the better outcome really relies in you because whatever God prophesies, it already is. It's just in the future. The only thing that can change it is whether or not you get there. So this word is for the, for the room. It's for the room. In 2020 is a year of transition. The point of transition is going to begin in March. 
if you've got a sense of something about to change, something's going to happen, I got to go, I got to move, I got to take this course, I got to do this thing, and you just sit on your doldrums and do what you've always done, and March comes and goes, and you say, oh, that wasn't a word from the Lord. So who failed? But what if you grab a hold of it? What if you take it to heart? And what if you let your heart work with it, work with hope and faith and begin to influence your mind towards that goal, towards that promise from the living God? Listen, if I do this thing, if I enter into the prophetic realm, if I don't rely on the natural, if I don't rely on the political, if I don't rely on the armies, if I don't rely on the wealth, if I don't rely on the important people, but I rely on the word of the Lord, and I pursue that, and March comes and goes, and all of a sudden you're in a whole different place. I was going to read a, another story from Second Chronicles, but I don't think I'm going to. I think I'll save this for next week. It's the story of Jehoshaphat. Isn't that a great name? Anyone that's going to have a son, don't name your kid Jehoshaphat. <laughs> great name, but really out of time, out of sync with, with today. All right, He'll end up so broken in middle school. <laughs> but I do want to read one quote that Jehoshaphat makes. He says this, Jehoshaphat stood and he said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. And next week you'll find out the situation they're in. Believe the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. I'm going to read that to you again. Believe the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. So what does it mean to believe? When the word of the Lord comes forth, and you hear something, and something is stirred inside, and you go out those doors at the end of the service, what does it mean to believe the word of the Lord? What do you do with that? Where do you go with it? How do you handle it? How do you nurture it? How do you take that seed and water it and cultivate it and prune it back so it begins to bear fruit so that when the, when the fullness of time for that word comes, all of a sudden that fruit explodes into your life and you have a wealth of godliness infusing into your circumstance and situation rather than the situation you've always found yourself ending up in, which is not good. I love the testimony of the tide this morning. This is the first January she didn't struggle because she took the word of the Lord and she believed it. She believed it by her actions. She did what the word said to do, and the word fed her life. Mm. 
So the word of the Lord has come. 2020 is a year of great transition. So I want to ask you if you've been anticipating or expecting or have a sense of change uh, any time over the last three weeks. And I want to slow down, Dick. Right. I want to give you this because it really blew me away. Um, and I love when this happens on uh, the 27th of December. I get these occasional emails from Chris Vallotton. And uh, this is a prophetic word that he put out on the 27th of December, and he felt it was so important. He put it out as an iPod, as a podcast thing. Um, I'll just take a blip out of, out of his dialogue. He says, I believe we are moving into a sovereign season. 2020, he's referring to 2020. The Lord told him this eight weeks ago. It took him eight weeks to process it through, to come to the conclusions that he shares in this, this podcast. I believe we are moving into a sovereign season. God is moving at a speed that is creating Kairos conditions. Now, how many of you don't know what Kairos means? Put your hand up. Okay, so I'll just send you out wondering. So a Kairos moment, all right? So if you, if you have to be to work at 8 o'clock, you know, and you arrive at 8.01 and you punch that time clock, you didn't make it, right? You missed that moment. You're going you're gonna to lose something in that. If you do that consistently enough, you lose your job, right? So we, we have this idea of time and some points of time are much more important, like we have to be at a certain place at a certain time to accomplish this. If we miss that window of time, we, we miss that opportunity. That's how it goes. So in God's scheme of things, you know, we see a lot of Old Testament biblical history, and I don't know about you, but I read some of these stories, and I'm thinking, well, where's Jesus? Well, why didn't he just show up here? You know, what's he waiting for? But then it says in the New Testament, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. There, there was no other moment in all of eternity where that could have taken place. That moment in time was so sacred, so holy, so secret to all of creation that it had to happen then and only then. That is a Kairos moment. God has pre-chosen that moment for his will to be done above and, and over every other will that could be exerted against it. And what Chris Vallotton is saying is we're in a time now where a whole string of Kairos moments are just going to begin to unfurl in 2020. He had this vision of God just moving through this crowd and just pulling people out of the way. Get out of my way. Get out of my way. Get out of my way. And people are lining up like linebackers trying to resist him. And just get out of my way and just keep going. And, and he says, finally, he came to Chris. And Chris is in the posture. And he looks Chris right in the eyes. And he says, move. And he said, and I moved. And he walked right past me. And he said, now follow. See, Kairos moments where God is just steamrolling right through in his purposes. But he does it to drag us in 
so we can join him in the journey. We can't run ahead of him. We can't dictate where he's going to go, what he's going to do, or how he's going to think, or his purposes, or his heart. He dictates that to us. And he gives us all kinds of free will, but when Kairos moments come, it's his will and his will alone. Okay. God is moving at a speed that is creating Kairos conditions. His divine providence is molding and shaping history like a potter works clay. He is defending righteousness with his steadfast justice and unshakable love. 2020, a year of transition. What has the Lord been speaking to you? What are you anticipating? What are you hoping? Do you have a dream in Christ? Is there something you're yearning for? Now's the time. Between now and March, I want to encourage you, get into the word of God with your hope, with your dreams, with your visions, with your sense of purpose and calling. Get into the word and say, listen, this is what I've got. Can I join it to your momentum? Will you take me along in the vacuum that you create? Can I draft behind your 16-wheeler in my little Mini Cooper and save some gas on this journey, right? We're in that time. Next week, when we go into this story of Jehoshaphat, I'm going to give you very particular uh, things to do to begin to handle the word of the Lord, to begin to handle these hopes, to begin to process your own dreams and, and visions for the Lord so that you will see them unfold and be accomplished. Listen, the word of God says this. The word, the word of the Lord never goes forth except that it accomplishes that which God purposed in it. It doesn't return to him empty or void. It always accomplishes what he stated. So that means if it misses you because you're sitting in your doldrums, somebody else is going to get your blessing because God will not be robbed of his glory just because you don't want it. Somebody will get it. You might as well be the one. Right? So all of you who put up your hands, I want you to stand. <laughs>